I'm Julian Simmons, and this is Talking About Our Generation. This podcast is all about community, sharing, caring, communicating. We listen to our listeners, and we hope you'll let us know what you want to talk about. Lately, of course, we're all focused on Ukraine, watching with a combination of horror and hope. We've posted a list of links on our new Help Ukraine page on our website, where you can donate to the humanitarian effort. And I urge you to visit www.talkingaboutourgeneration.com. That's talking without the G and about without the A and give what you can. We're working on a series about the state of civility in America, which a lot of you agree is in a dangerous decline. What's happening to Ukraine is perhaps the most extreme example of incivility. But this crisis is also bringing people all around the world together in a global humanitarian effort. That's civility. Today, in part two of our series on this subject, we're talking with psychiatrist Joseph Schrand, who has just come out with a new book, Unleashing the Power of Respect. Dr. Schrand's book may just be the beginning of a cure for incivility teaching us how to retrain our brains to stop reacting with anger and ugliness and start learning how to get along. He admits that's a big ask to treat people we may loathe with respect, but he's created a method that he calls the I am approach that can start us on that path. If we don't at least try to change our ways, he says, we're headed for a very dark place. Dr. Schrand comes to us with some impressive credentials. He's been a lecturer of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He is triple board certified in adult psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and a diplomate of the American Board of Addiction Medicine. He is chief medical officer of Riverside Community Care in Dedham, Massachusetts, and is on the faculty of Boston Children's Hospital. Here's my conversation with Dr. Joseph Schrand. Dr. Joseph Schrand, welcome to Talk About Our Generation. It's so great to have you on the show. Julian, I am honored and delighted. So your new book just came out, Unleashing the Power of Respect, which is really quite a phenomenal book. In layman's terms, tell us, what's the message of your book? The message is we have an opportunity now to remind people of their value, that respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And that's really the basic idea. When's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? In the book, you talk about an approach that you actually started creating many years ago called the I am approach. I guess in the beginning it was I max. How did you arrive at that? Well, I had done a lot of theater as a kid. Um, and then sometime in the early 1980s, I had been working as a writer for CARE, this international aid and development organization. 
And I was sent down to Belize to report on one of their projects. And I realized as I was there that I was doing medicine wholesale. I was helping people that I would never really meet. And I wanted to do it retail. So all I really knew how to do in life was theater and medicine because my mom was an actress and my dad was a pediatrician. So I figured it was one of those two things. Back in 1982, I went back to do my pre-med and I had to take physics. Yeah. Are you still awake? You still awake, Julian? <laughs> physics. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Right, whenever, whenever I say physics, people immediately fall asleep. But, but in physics, there's an equation. The symbol capital I stands for potential current for electricity. And I thought, well, why don't we just flip it upside down and we call it a current potential? But we look at everyone at a maximum current potential, doing the best they can at this moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another best they can. And you're right. At the time, I called it an IMAX. Um, but when I went to publish one of my books uh, years later, the publisher of the house thought that we may have copyright infringement, even though IMAX had been around for a long time. But IMAX theaters right, exactly. may not be that happy with it. So. We change it to I am, which is great because this is who I am. This is me and I matter. It's interesting so, because I got that. It was much clearer once I saw the I am after the IMAX and then I got it like immediately. I am. I matter. Yeah. And that was pretty amazing. So could I am be our series that we're doing right now is about the state of civility in America, which is, according to a, a survey we've done, is very important to our listeners and one that they think is an issue right now. So do you think the I am approach is a prescription for curing incivility? I think it is a prescription, if you will, for understanding it, which may be even more important and certainly the first step in curing. Because the I am is saying, let's, let's change the paradigm. Instead of looking at each other as broken, as not doing the best we can, as should be doing better, let's look again at why we do what we do based on the influence of these four domains. Your home domain. No one's going to argue your home has had an influence on who you are. The social domain, which is the rest of the world, these two domains are outside. Then the two internal domains, your biological domain of your brain and body. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I digesting my lunch? And then what I call the I see domain. Oh, I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Human beings are very interested in what other people think or feel. We call that empathy. But Julian, what we really want to know is what are you thinking about me? That's what we want to know. So really, of the four domains, are, are we really just pretty much conscious of the IC domain? Or do, do, you, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think that we are using the IC domain to interpret information coming from the two external domains, the home and the social domain. Mm -hmm. And this then has an effect on our biological domain of our brain and body. And listeners, you, you know that it feels differently when you think somebody values you 
or are devaluing you. Yeah, this is this is the real crux with how we're going to manage this surge in incivility. Because rather than judge each other, let's understand each other. Why are people doing what they do based on the influence of those four domains? Let's look again. When you think about the words look again and reverse them. Again, look. Again, to repeat something, look like a spectator. Mm-hmm. Let's respect, respect why people do what they do. So when you started the book 10 years ago, and I'm sure that especially in the last few years, so many of the dynamics have changed because of the pandemic, because of the divisiveness in politics. And we seem to be getting more tribalistic, if you will, in not just our thinking, but I was reading in NPR recently about people moving from some states to move to more conservative states so they can surround themselves with people who not only think, but speak and live with the same feelings and intentions as they want to, which is just kind of making the problem even worse. So in writing your book, how did you address that? Or do you think you addressed it? I think I do, because I think the I am can be applied not just to an individual, but to a system. Mm -hmm. So you're right. When we feel part of a tribe, we feel safer. We feel that we are surrounded by our in-group. That's an I am. The thing is, if you're doing it, other people are doing it. So what happens to that other in-group? Now, they surround themselves with people that they feel comfortable with and familiar with. But all of a sudden, you have two tribes. This has been the evolution of our species for millions of years. One tribe has increased their value at the expense of another tribe. One individual has increased their value at the expense of another individual. And then we were astonished that we have war. We're astonished that if I'm trying to take something from you, that you then do the same and try to take it from me. So that's still an I am. But it isn't part of tribalism, though, just a part of nature? I mean, we're drawn to people who are like us, who either think like us or like to live the way we do or are religious like we are. I mean, some of that is just a natural part of being human beings. But where does it cross the line into something where we become unsympathetic towards people who are different than us? Yeah. I think it crosses the line when we look at another person as really not being human, Mm. almost dehumanizing somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because in that way, we can excuse our behavior. See, I think human beings are really good. I think that we are moral. And what unleashing the power of respect is saying is that even though we may have these different tribes, these different groups, and we have this huge division right now. I mean, we we know that it's happening. That's part of the the theme of your shows. How do we address the, the lack of civility? But what the I am is saying is, we actually all want the same thing. 
We just want to feel valued by somebody else. We want to feel valued. And unlike the history where we increase our own value by decreasing somebody else's, once you recognize that, you can increase your value by reminding somebody else of theirs. And every time you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. So in your book, you use case studies from your work with patients to illustrate the I am approach. One example takes place when you're working at a mental institution with a patient who was about to do something very violent. He was in a terrible rage. Tell our listeners the story of Dan, and then we can talk about what you did and why it worked. So Dan uh, had schizophrenia, which is a, a condition in which your thinking process can be so distorted that you are hallucinating. You may hear things other people don't hear, see things other people don't see, imagine things that are happening around you. So there it is early in the morning, and I'm walking on the unit to start my day, and Dan, something has act- and annoyed him. And he, he literally is he's this huge guy, and he's got a chair over his head that he is about to smash down on a nurse. There's a whole group of people around him. They're going to intervene. They're going to basically jump on him and restrain him and put him in leather straps and strap him down. And it was just an intuition, an instinct. Dan was my patient. And I saw this happening. And I walked over and I said, hey, Dan, you want a cup of coffee? And it was so incongruous. He just sort of startled and looked at me. The other people around startled. They stopped. And then I said, decaf, okay? Because I didn't want him to be overstimulated. And he appreciated the humor of it. That was it. Dan, want a cup of coffee? Decaf, okay? And that humor (laughs) just, it diffused everything. And he realized I was talking with him, not to him, not at him, but with him. I wasn't saying, put the chair down. I wasn't giving him a command. I was offering him something. Do you want a cup of coffee? And then use the humor, decaf, which, which is a subtle way of saying, you know, you're kind of revved up right now, man. Let's, uh, let's, go, let's go hang out. And he did. He put the chair down. He walked over with me. We had coffee, decaf. And that was really one of the beginnings. It was interesting how it just diffused that whole situation. Mm-hmm. But... In talking to you, I'm wondering, just in this short time, I can see how you are a really easy person to talk to. And you have this kind of, you're probably a great therapist, psychiatrist. Mm. But what if it's somebody who's coming in there into this situation, trying to do what you did so successfully, but they don't have your personality? (laughs) <laughs> maybe they're, hey, man, let me get you a cup of coffee and let's talk <laughs> or something like that. Because then, you know, people are, we never know to, to expect from ourselves. Most of us are not psychiatrists. Right. So how much of the success of it is based on that you're doing it? Well, I, I, I am flattered. Um, and I, I think part of it is that, but it's, it's something that you can learn. Intuition is the precursor to technique. 
So I had an intuition. This is how I should manage Dan. And then I began to recognize what it really was and how to make it a technique. We can teach this to people. If When you read Unleashing the Power of Respect, you'll be able to recognize people in your life. It's a series of stories. And then reframing what happens in those stories, rather than see each other as sick and broken, when you really begin to wonder, why is that person doing that? It, it gives you an opportunity to approach them in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they will respond. Maybe not immediately, but when's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? It is so hard for our brain to sustain anger when it sees through that I see domain. This person is is really interested in who I am. Right. Why I'm doing this. They're not judging me. In other words, I'm not being seen as an outside person in this tribe. I'm part of the tribe. I am part of a group. And immediately that makes me safer. That's really interesting. And uh, switching gears just a little, I don't expect you to lay out everything that's in your book. Uh, We don't have time for that anyway. But you said a wonderful thing. You said the I am approach is a roadmap to break down the chaos of life. I want you to explain that a little bit. And then what can we do? These have to be small steps, right? Yes, small changes. And the I am is the roadmap. Because as you say, small changes can have big effects. This is the first truth of the I am. The four domains interact. The home, the social, the biological, the I see. So you don't need to change everything. If you think you need to change everything, you're going to get overwhelmed. If you're overwhelmed, it activates the stress response in your brain, and you really can get frozen. That brings up an interesting point about our reactive nature. I think that we all probably spend a lot more time reacting than thinking about what we're doing, not taking a breath and and thinking about it more. But when there's situations that we deal with every day, for example, road rage, you're in another vehicle. You're separated from them. So I can't see opening up the window and going, hey, you want a cup of coffee? (laughs) I'm I'm not making little of what your your approach is at all. But I'm trying to like get it, you know, through all these different circumstances in life. So... How do I deal with that? Say I'm in this situation and yeah. and somebody's just raging at me because they think I cut them off or something. And do we just ignore that and not try and go into the I am approach? Or is there some part of the I am approach that would work for us? Yeah, um, it's, it's such a wonderful example because certainly we've all been there. If you've been driving, you may have cut somebody off accidentally. And then they get enraged with you. And you have to first sort of step back for a moment. Let's understand what's actually happened here. So human beings want three things. We want food, shelter, the ability to mate. We're, We're basically human. We can translate that to resources instead of food, relationships, the ability to mate, and residence, place to live. When you cut somebody off, part of their brain thinks, you've just taken something from me. 
you now have a greater resource than me. You're ahead of me in the line. And that other person can go limbic. Remember, the limbic system is this ancient part of our brain responsible for impulses, irrational thought, emotions. It's where memories live. It happens to be where addictions start. We can have that discussion at another time. But that's what's happening to that person. They have gone limbic because they think you have cut them off and taken something of theirs. You've devalued them. So what do you do? The first is you use a different part of your brain. You could also go limbic because there are these really cool things called mirror neurons where we mirror each other's emotions. So if somebody's angry, you may get angry. You know, the hell with you, man. I didn't cut you off on person. What the, what the heck? You know, I'm just, I'm just, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or you can use another part of your brain. For those who are listening who are not driving, you can put your hand on your forehead for a moment. And right behind there is your prefrontal cortex, a fancy way of saying the front part mm -hmm. of your brain. But this is the part of your brain responsible for thinking, for rational thought, for making a plan for executing the plan, for anticipating what will happen next. <laughs> what you can do is you can keep it frontal and not go limbic. You can then actually, if you were just doing it innocently, it's okay to apologize. You can say, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. I didn't mean to do that. And that action can be mirrored by the angry person. They can then shift to their prefrontal cortex and go, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I guess you didn't see me. I'm still annoyed about it, but I'm not enraged about it, right? I mean, think how many words. So how, how, do, we get, how do we get ourselves to the point of, say, somebody's, you know, they, they, say, they start using every profanity in the book yeah. on me for doing something that I don't think I've done. Mm -hmm. And instead of going, F you, I didn't, you know, all that and getting into it. What, what do I do? Do I just like step back and say to myself, breathe first? I mean, yeah. what is the, what is the practical steps here that we get so we don't go right. back? What I hope is that people will read Unleashing the Power of Respect to, to give you the detail of it. But when you understand the four domains, and you really understand that your action inadvertently has affected this person's I see domain. They have think that you see them as less valuable, which activates their limbic survival response. You can then correct it. You can, it's okay to say you're sorry. It doesn't mean you're fawning and you're, and you're, you know, weak. It's actually taking responsibility. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I see I really pissed you off when I did, and I'm sorry. That was not my intention, but I appreciate your perspective. Now, let's do something else. There's another thing, though. What happens when you're the one that's cut off and when you're the one that gets limbic? So this is the technique that I do, because it happened. You know, somebody cuts me off. I'm trying to get someplace that... I think, I wonder if that person has diarrhea. <laughs> and that's why they really have to, they've got to get someplace really fast. It's a little bit of schadenfreude, I suppose. But, <laughs> you know, 
Maybe that's what's happening. Let's look at their perspective. Why are they can are they are they really just uh, you know an ass? Maybe, but you know what? It's one car length. Making me think about Catherine Ryan Hyde, who was a, a guest on our show, talking about her book "Pay It Forward." Right. which really created a sensation and people started doing the pay it forward thing by doing an act of kindness, generosity or something. And then the fact that psychologically it makes people want to do something nice for somebody else, that kindness is contagious, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think if somebody has cut you off and you say, I'm sorry, and please go ahead and or whatever, that they're going to turn around and be nice to somebody else. Would they, do you think? They may think twice about cutting somebody off next time, perhaps, yeah. But, but you know, again, let's, let's take this road rage example um, and expand it out because there are so many instances, I mean, talk about tribal mentality, where an entire tribe will try to cut off another tribe. And then that tribe that's being cut off, they need to quickly assess, are they doing it because they really want something from me, or are they oblivious to what I need and what's happening with me? But if it's happening sort of en masse, how, how could that not be anything but intentional? I agree. But then we can step back and go, why? What is going on with this entire group of people that they feel so disenfranchised or devalued or disrespected, which then leads to mistrust, that the best they can do is to respond and try to take something. It is a huge lift. It's a huge ask when you really look at the I am. It's really big. There's no question about it. Because what, what I'm asking is for us to recognize that we are primitive human beings that are very, very limbic, very irrational, but we have a prefrontal cortex. What will happen next if we keep doing this? If we keep doing this, we know we're going to destroy ourselves. Or one tribe will say, hey, I don't care. I'm dehumanizing another tribe. We see this. We've seen this in very scary ways. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a name for that, a scientific name for it? And I'm sure it must fit into the four domains where you have the individual mentality, but then it becomes something much larger when it is a group mentality. Is, there, is it just group mentality? or? Well, I think we have many words for that. You know, I agree with you. There's, there's collective experiences where we think, I need to be safe, I need to be part of this group, so I will think like the group. Just like you said before, people moving to other parts of the world, parts of America, where they feel other people understand them. I totally get that, because my family came over from Eastern Europe, and they came and lived within a group of their own community and felt safe and secure and happy. But there's also another side to that, which isn't so nice. When I was a kid, I was bullied incessantly for years hmm. because I was 
little because I had an accent, because I was smarter than most kids, and I was very pretty for a boy. I had all those things going against me. And I was constantly bullied by sometimes one, but often by groups. How do, and and I'm sure this happens today to people who are different for whatever reason, you know, if they're a different skin color or culture or whatever, and not just kids. How do you deal with individual bullying or mass bullying using the I am approach? Does it work there too? Absolutely, it does. First, you you can't bully the bully out of the bully. Right? Right. Again, we we don't want to use the mirror neurons and become the bully as well. But for the kids who are bullied, and I work with a lot of kids like this. I'm a child psychiatrist. I use the I am. And I help this kid who's been bullied understand that everyone has an I am. I don't have to like it. But I want to understand it and say, why is the best that person can do to feel valuable is to try to make me feel less valuable? What's going on in there I am? What's going on in their home or social domain? Their IC or biological domain? And it is really remarkable how our kids who have been bullied can then step back and look again and realize they have value. Mm-hmm. They are okay. It's something going on with that bully. Now, how do you manage that? Hopefully, there's other people that you can rely on, that you can now become part of another group that says to the bully, you know what? You don't need to do this to be valuable. What about the Charlie Brown story? I mean... Ah, Charlie Brown. I use Charlie Brown in so many of my talks about something called theory of mind. You know, there's a, there's a cartoon that I show where Charlie Brown is saying, believe in me, and somebody walks right by them. He says it again, believe in me. The person walks right by them. The third time, believe in me. Snoopy walks right by him. Not Snoopy. And the, and even Snoopy. <laughs> and in the last panel, Charlie Brown is sitting by himself and he says, I just can't get people to believe in me. This is why he's depressed. This is why he feels that he has less value. And the thing is, if that goes on for long enough, Charlie Brown will stop caring what other people think or feel about him. Yeah. But then he'll stop caring what other people think or feel. He'll shut down empathy. So there's another cartoon that I use. And it's from Rose is Rose. And there's a little boy playing baseball with his dad, but he's terrible. Uh He can't hit it. He can't catch it. He can't throw it. But his dad says to him, you were amazing out there. And that little boy walks away smiling with his dad. The dad is not saying you're great at baseball. That would be a lie. The kid clearly is terrible at baseball. But the dad is saying, you're trying. You're not giving up. You're willing to make a mistake and get up and try again. That's resilience. And that's what we can do. This little boy, through the eyes of his father, sees himself as valuable. And that's why 
he's willing to make the mistakes because respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And that trust allows you to unleash this amazing human potential. I'm going to try something. So trust is really at the bottom of a lot of this, isn't it? Yeah, Not Not just is. trusting others, but trusting ourselves. Yeah, yeah, believing in yourself. That's the power of respect. That's what I mean by unleashing the power of respect. It's powerful. It's part of who we are as human beings. Every one of the people that we've been talking about, whether it's the person cutting you off in traffic or the person who's been cut off, they still want the same thing, to feel valued. Every one of the people in that one tribe and the other tribe, that's what Unleashing is trying to say. We're one tribe. It's called humanity. Let's be there with each other. Let's do that. Let's try to understand why there's so much anger in this world, why there's so much civility. We want the same thing. But instead of going limbic on it, instead of getting scared and responding in fear or anger or depression, let's try to understand what do people want to see different. There's something we can help. So let me give you another situation. Okay, great. I love this. This is so good. I'll take another situation. I'll, 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 I'll give you another uh, Julian, Julian, could I please have another situation, please? Right, Thank right, you. right. Thank you. No, no, no. I'm going to give you another situation, which is a little, you know, I'm, I'm obviously playing devil's advocate here, but I'm... <laughs> okay. Um, great. Great. <laughs> say you're on an airplane and someone just, it escalates and they're going nutty on you you know they're just like you, you cannot re the, the 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 flight attendant is not trained to deal with it nor does he or she know how to get this person to calm down because that's really what it's about is getting someone to start breathing again mm -hmm. and you're in the sky twenty-five thousand feet up and there was a recent situation where someone was going for the door and started to actually open it after a series of punching people out and things like that. So you, you have this situation where there's the people who are trying to calm down the person, and they all have their own idea about how to calm the person down. Some people say talking to them, some want to just punch the person out or worse. And then you have all these people who are around in the situation who can't go anywhere. I mean, they're stuck there. So there's a lot of need for the I am approach through, <laughs> throughout mm -hmm. this whole situation. And it's all kind of complex and different. Right. So I'm going to just put that out there to you and see yeah. what you think. And, and I mean, it is a challenge because the I am is, is not saying that we condone people's behavior because you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence there you There you go. I don't want people to to think, well, okay, just because this person is going to open the door to the airplane, that's their I am, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. Because if that happens, you know what? The, right. the pressure will be diffused and you will get sucked out of the plane. So there's absolutely the moment where you say, I, I can't 
let this happen, but I want to understand why, but maybe not right now. I'm going to have to do what need to do to protect others, but without judging this person. But we still need to protect. We need to survive. But just because we need to survive doesn't mean we then don't afterwards stop and say, what was going on, man? Mm-hmm. I mean, you realize what could have happened? You know, you could have killed all these people. You could have killed yourself. Mm-hmm. I work a lot with people who are suicidal. But what I'll ask them is, do you really want to die? Or do you wish you had a different life? And 99% of the time, they want a different life. That's where the I am comes in. What small change can we make so that you're less suicidal, that you're willing to live? Certainly in, in, in Unleashing, there, there are a few patients, my patient teachers, I call them, who've had that experience where they wanted to die, but they really just want a different life. But for the airplane, you know, there may be a need for a bunch of people to jump on that person, get them controlled physically, but then don't judge them for it. Don't say you're bad. Something's going on that the best that person can do is put all these other lives in jeopardy. Let's respect that now see now that's that's the interesting thing that well two things you said one about that it's not about control it's about influencing influence and the other is in doing this series on incivility i have learned so much about how complex this issue is even down to the most simple cases of incivility and what I'm beginning to see, before this started, for example, I was looking at certain people as, I don't want to deal with them, I don't agree with them, I loathe them, blah, 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 blah. And I started to just back up a little bit and say, okay, well, what what, what am I actually seeing here? Or what's going on? And reading your book, talking to Catherine, other books that I've been reading, and people I've been talking to, I'm realizing that there is a, there's just a lot of pain out there. And people wanting to just be acknowledged that the more we don't acknowledge them, the more angry they become, the more reactive, limbic they become, because they just want us to say, you exist. That's right. And you have, and your opinions matter and, and all that. And yeah. we see your book as a step towards some kind of solution. Yes. To, yes. Uh, I'm sure there's more than one solution that we'll all come up with, but we do have to start coming up with solutions. Agreed. Because uh, what you say in your, your book that, you know, if we don't come up with solutions, we're going to be in really a bad, bad way. That's right. I, I I truly believe that. I, I I think again we have this common thread because what you're describing is who we are as human beings. Why is it so important to feel valuable? And that I think does go back millions of years because millions of years ago we weren't the biggest animal, we weren't the fastest, we weren't the strongest. 
we were isolated little mammals scurrying around hoping not to be lunch. We were prey. And then we formed these small social groups. And our survival potential increased so dramatically, human beings are everywhere. But to access the protection of that group, the safety of that group, you have to contribute to that group. You have to have value. So when we perceive the slightest hint that we may be less valued by somebody else, it activates this primitive survival response. Am I going to be kicked out of mm -hmm. my group and be lunch? We're not aware of it. We're not consciously aware of it. But once you recognize, wow, what's going on with that person that they make me feel less valuable? Because I know I am not less valuable. This is my I am. This is who I am. I matter. But we have millions of people right now who for some reason feel that they are devalued. And they want to do something about it. They may organize themselves and do something to devalue others as a response. But what about, but we, uh, I, I just want to throw in something here, and I know I'm going to get into trouble for saying this great. with somebody. Not you what necessarily, fun. but what with fun. somebody. Sometimes, though, someone in a place of power can tell you that you have a problem that you don't have. Yep. And I think back to Adolf Hitler yeah. and telling people that they have a problem and the problem is these people over there, whether it was Jews or Romas or homosexuals or intellectuals or people who were handicapped, any of those things. And former President Trump did that right. very effectively and is still doing it and has put, to me, put a lot of people under a trance and telling them that, and it's interesting because I can see why these people are afraid. To me, they're afraid. And mm -hmm. fear, you probably know better than most of us what fear can do to a person. You start acting from a, a place of survival instead of intellectually trying to figure it out. But it does create a danger. Absolutely. You know, whatever the underlying reasons are why someone feels they're not being acknowledged, right. even though that's important, obviously. And that's a huge cause for incivility yep. in is. society. And I think that a lot of people don't do things because they go, what can I do? I'm one person. Yeah. But there's so yeah. much power that one person has that we just have forgotten that we have or we're told we don't have, whether it's subliminal messages in society or people telling us you don't matter by how they act. One of the first things that, that I ask my adolescent patients to do is when they turn 18 to register to vote. Because I don't, I'm not telling them who to vote for, but that small change can have a big effect. They can influence people they will never meet. I think what has happened over the last few years is there has been almost um, a permission for people to say, I don't like this. I'm angry about it. And yeah, with charismatic leaders, we can 
be drawn down a particular pathway. But rather than say they're wrong, why is it so appealing? Why was it so appealing to be drawn down that pathway without judging it? You know, I can have a discussion with someone. We all can. And we can start off by saying, you know what? Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't respect you. As a matter of fact, by respecting you and valuing you, you can trust me with your position. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just really fascinated. How did we become so different? How did we, how did we decide that this is important for me, but not for you? Or this is important for me, and I don't care about you. Well, isn't it this? I mean, I kind of put that to this rise of individualism that has been creeping upward since probably the 80s or some people have pinpointed it at the Reagan years and Margaret Thatcher and individualism has, you know, I'm more important and what I think is more important than what's good for us. Right. But, but again, doesn't that speak also to this ongoing desire to feel valuable. Yeah, uh, for sure. We, right, I mean, we can reframe it all and say, wow, every one of these people that we disagree with, they still want the same thing. It's just that they're trying to get there by taking it away from or me. Or they want a lot more than I do. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But, but we don't need to, we don't need to, we oh. don't need to mirror that. Why does it often seem to be at the expense of others? I, I know we're getting off track here a little bit, but... Not at all, not at I'm all. I'm curious it's, to know what you think. Right. Because, again, we, we have this, this ancient brain that still thinks we have limited resources, that we have residences that are vulnerable, that we have relationships that are tenuous. But again, what for me, what is so wonderful about it is that everybody may think that. It doesn't matter what color you are, what religion you are, what race you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. The question is, what do you do with it? Mm. Instead of continuing the trend we have, to increase my value by decreasing yours. Let's do something else. Let's increase each other's value. We'll all feel safer. We won't need to be limbic. We can use this remarkable part of our brain and create things and unleash who we are, our creative process. You know, I, I know people will go, that sounds like just too utopian. But it's right within our grasp. The thing is, the people who are listening to this podcast are the ones who can now use it. But there will be many, many people who won't listen to this podcast. How do we reach them? Yeah. You can do that. You can do that by treating them all with respect. Small changes can have big effects. And so those small changes, Dr. Schrand, I know that we've talked about trust and respect, 
And I assume those are some of the small changes that we can make because if we don't trust ourselves and trust others and respect ourselves and respect others, it all has to kind of start with us. Yeah, it does. So we have to take some responsibility. Absolutely. You know, the, the I am isn't saying that it's a free ride just because it's the best you can do doesn't mean you're not going to be held responsible, which is different than blame. Responsibility is empowering. So I guess, you know, from a very self-serving point of view, Julian, uh, the small change a person can make is go out and buy the book. Uh, But sorry, just... (laughs) No, absolutely. And and I absolutely encourage them to do that. I found it incredibly valuable. And the more I read it, the more I, I got excited about what the possibilities can be for all of us. I think one of the things I I walked away with, though, was knowing, and I don't know if it's just temporary because of the pandemic, but people are so tired of being responsible. You know, they are overwhelmed with being responsible. Every time you turn around, you have to be responsible now. You have to be responsible for wearing a mask, for keeping your distance, or responsible for your family or your children or whatever actions, the slightest thing that you we've never had to think about before. We're suddenly, we have to be the big person in the room. So now we're asking people to be responsible yet again. Mm-hmm. So how can we make it enticing? Is it possible? Sure. Absolutely. Again, First of all, think about small changes can have big effects. What could be smaller than a virus? Mm. And look at the powerful impact it has had on the entire world. And the reason it's had an impact on the entire world, this was the great disappointment for me about COVID. It could have brought us together. It could have reminded us how much more we have in common than separates us. But it was politicized. It was politicized, but I also think that it maybe did bring us together. Um, It's just that I think you probably know this. I mean, usually the ones who are silent are the bigger majority. Mm. It's all those who are out there saying, I'm not going to get a vaccine or are thinking very individualistically. But I I think, I don't know, maybe I have more hope in people than, than that. But I am with you. I have a lot of hope and a lot of faith. And faith is the enactment of trust. Faith is the enactment of trust. It's, it's where you actually do something. But what, I'm, what I'm, I think the appealing part is everybody's had the experience of saying thank you to someone. This is the commonality. What happens when somebody says thank you? 90% of the time in our culture, the other person will say you're welcome. It happened to me just today. You know, I'm I'm coming out of a store. Somebody else is coming in. They open the door. I say thank you. Say they say you're welcome. No problem. You know, it's really interesting you brought that up because Rob Wilson, our our director, is really big on this idea, which we're we've started investigating, and that is to get apps like Siri and Alexa to say thank you and well, you're welcome because they don't. Yes. You know what I do with my app? I always say thank you to it. Say, Siri, can you show me this? It'll tell me I say thank you. So wouldn't it be great if Siri said you're welcome back? I mean, (laughs) mean, it would encourage you to 
to do that. And and Rob is really big on this whole thing of we've got to find out how we can get Apple to include thank you and please and you're welcome on that. So we're going to work on a petition and I'll let you know in that. I love it. I, I love it. But think about the words you're welcome. What does that really mean? It means I'm not worried you're going to take my resources, my residence, or my relationships. You are part of my group now because you have reminded me of my value. Whenever you say thank you to someone, you're acknowledging that they have done something for you. So they are valuable. That's what I mean. Every time we remind someone of their value, we increase our own. How cool is that? It's wonderful. So going over a couple of things in your book to remember, one is that we control no one, but we influence everyone. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Right, exactly. So this has been really wonderful. I've just loved talking to you, and I hope we can do this again. Me too. And, And Julian, you and I have talked with each other, with each other. We have, and that's what this is about, conversations. That's right. With each other. Yeah, thank you for bringing me. I'm, I got, I'm <laughs> full of lessons today, so that's really, really good. I appreciate that. So uh, where can people get your book? We're going to put a link on our page so that people will know where to go to get it. But Great. where can people get your book? So right now, right now it's on Amazon, even though people, you know, Amazon. But, but you can go to it. You go to Unleashing the Power of Respect. My last name is Shrand, S-H-R-A-N-D. Now, when you use Amazon, you guys know about Amazon Smile? Yeah. I would highly recommend people buy things through Amazon Smile. You can then designate a charity of your choice, a nonprofit, and that charity will get a small amount of money. I have one, Drug Story Theater, which is my nonprofit, but we work with kids in recovery. So please, the link, Amazon Smile or on Amazon, you can get it. I have a website drshrand.com. Feel free to contact me through there, drshrand.com. And you also have a podcast of your own. I do. (laughs) The Dr. Joe Show, exploring who we are and why we do what we do. And I would love it, Julian and Rob, if you guys guess on my podcast. Oh, we would love to do that. But I want to make sure people know that they can hear more of you if they want to on your own podcast. Yes, they can. So thank you so much, Dr. Joseph Schrand, for being with us today on Talking About Our Generation. My gratitude. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is how much I learn about myself. In just the short time since we did this interview, I've had many chances to apply the I am approach every day, or at least where I could have used it. I'm learning, but I have to admit, it takes work. My reflex isn't to react with respect always. Sometimes I do get angry. I mirror, as Dr. Sharan says, when someone's behavior upsets me. I think that's true probably for most of us. But what's really great about it is it makes me think, how would I have handled this situation using the I am approach? How could I have avoided the unpleasantness of anger or even stop myself from escalating a confrontation? What makes Dr. Schrantz's system so valuable and so doable 
is that we don't need to change overnight. Small steps, small changes in our attitudes and reactions to people and situations can bring about immensely more positive outcomes. So if we do it, the other person might just do it in small steps too. Powerful, positive changes. I really believe that any step we take, no matter how small, that moves us closer to a more harmonious world is worth taking. Dr. Schrand definitely shows us the way in his new book, Unleashing the Power of Respect. I highly recommend you buy a copy and read it. It's excellent advice, and it comes at the perfect time. This podcast is a conversation. And we hope you'll join us by sending in your comments. Just go to the website to learn how. We're at www.talkingaboutourgeneration.com. That's talking without the G and about without the A. And please be sure to like and follow us on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Alexa, Audible, Google, Spotify, or any of the others. We are on all of them. And thank you to Rob Wilson, our director and co-producer, for all of his hard work on putting these podcast episodes together. It couldn't happen without him. And also, thank you to Bill Aldridge, who does our theme music. I want to also remind you to check the Help Ukraine page on our website. There are dozens of different ways we can all be a part of the global effort to help the brave people of that country, including efforts to rescue the animals. Please do what you can. That's what civility is all about. Join us next time as we continue our series on the state of civility in America. Finally, I want to close with these words and a song from Sting. I think he speaks for most of us. I'm your host, Julian G. Simmons. Thanks for listening. I've only rarely sung this song in the many years since it was written because I never thought it would be relevant again. But in the light of one man's bloody and woefully misguided decision to invade a peaceful, unthreatening neighbor, the song is once again a plea for our common humanity. For the brave Ukrainians fighting against this brutal tyranny, and also the many Russians who are protesting this outrage despite the threat of arrest and imprisonment. We all of us love our children. Stop the war. But America, there's a growing feeling of hysteria Conditioned to respond to all the threats And the rhetorical speeches of the Soviet Mr. Khrushchev said we will bury you I don't subscribe to this point of view Be such an ignorant thing to do If the Russians love their children too how can I save my little boy From Oppenheimer's deadly toy There is no monopoly of common sense On either side of the political fence We share the same biology Regardless of ideology Believe me when I say to you I hope the Russians love their children too
is no historical precedent to put the words in the mouth of the president. There's no such thing as a winnable war. It's a lie we don't believe anymore. We share the same biology, regardless of ideology. And what might save us, me and you, is that the Russians love their children too. This podcast includes copyrighted material which has not always been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This content is used only where it is the specific subject of commentary by us and our guests, as part of our effort to advance understanding of issues of social and historical significance. We believe that this constitutes a fair use of the material in accordance with the Fair Use Section of U.S. Copyright Law, Section 107, which reads, The Fair Use of a Copyrighted Work. For purposes such as criticism, comment, News reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research, is not an infringement of copyright. Further information on this claim of fair use may be found on our website, at talkingaboutourgeneration.com.